Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. David Media. This is Finding Quantum Quest. I'm Spencer Worth Davis. After spending the last four months trying to find Quantum Quest, it feels kind of surreal knowing that we're about to watch it. We finally nailed down a date that worked for everyone, Harry found a screener copy of the movie, and we're all getting together on a Zoom call to watch it. We had actually lined up a screening before, so we settled on Harry and Dan and the three of us were just going to hop on Zoom and watch the movie together because... We couldn't physically get together. They couldn't send us a copy of the movie, whatever. We're all just going to watch it online together. Mm -hmm. Had a date and a time set. And Harry sent us an email the day of the screening to cancel because he was swamped preparing his robot presentation for Tony Robbins' Platinum Partnership members. God damn it, dude. Which is really what happened. That's a, you're just saying words. Right. I, <laughs> that's not, that's not, unfortunately, those words have meaning. <laughs> that's not mapped to reality. I regret to inform. <laughs> we eventually got the robot thing sorted, and today is the day that we finally watch Quantum Quest. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what this thing actually is. But at the same time, I feel like I already know. I've watched every clip that exists online, spoken to almost everyone involved in making it, assembled the whole backstory, but I have to keep reminding myself that I haven't actually seen the movie. Strangely, I also feel less invested than ever in Quantum Quest's artistic, educational, or scientific merits. I'm really not interested in trying to answer whether Quantum Quest is good or art. More than anything else, I just appreciate that Harry went for it, even if it probably wasn't going to work. On some weekday afternoon in 1997, Dr. Harry Kluwer walked out of a meeting with NASA and said, I've never directed a movie before, but I'm going to get the guy from Disney to art direct it. I'm going to find $12 million somewhere in Taiwan, cast every A-list actor I can think of, and the Star Wars people are going to do the sound which is a pitch that would get you laughed out of every room that has ever existed, but he kind of pulled it off. He just went full send on the thing that he wanted to do, for better or worse. And at this point, I really don't care if the movie's, quote, good or not. I appreciate that Steven Van Buren did the same thing, albeit in a totally different way. And I'm even more appreciative that Charles Colhase, Carolyn Porco, and... Everyone else at NASA and JPL made all of this joy, wonder, and curiosity possible through their genius and dedication. Throughout this process, I've been thinking a lot about the links between science, exploration, and art, 
And I keep coming back to a quote from poet and National Endowment for the Arts chairman, Dana Joya. He said, quote, Art is an irreplaceable way of understanding and expressing the world. There are some truths about life that can be expressed only as stories, songs, or images. And I think maybe this whole thing is really that simple. Science, exploration, and art are all seeking truths about life, and sometimes the best or only way to convey those truths is through stories, images, and music. Either way, I've had a ton of fun skipping around the internet on my way down this weird little rabbit hole, following whichever path tugged hardest at my curiosity, and I certainly took the long way to get here, but I think I've arrived at my destination. At 5 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon in April, we're about to watch a movie that almost no one has ever seen. All right, so you guys able to see it? Yep. Oh, yeah. Keep in mind, we've lowered the resolution so it'll stream on Zoom. Sure. Yeah, I, I lowered it to 720. Um, here we go. obviously had to turn off the recording at this point, but Sam and Ryan and I spent the next 50 or so minutes watching one of the strangest films I've ever seen. We tried our best to summarize the movie for Eric, but the plot wasn't always super clear and we had to make some educated guesses about who was who or what was what at times. But anyway, as far as I can tell, Quantum Quest goes something like this. We open inside an auditorium at JPL, where two kids are playing a handheld Quantum Quest video game while they wait for a presentation to begin. The camera pans up, out the window, into the sky, and eventually into outer space. There we see the Cassini spacecraft flying through space, then move inside the sun where we meet Dave the Photon and his friend Reyna. They're children and they love to play the game that we've been calling Space Lacrosse or Space Quidditch. One day, they get drafted to leave the core of the sun and move out into space to serve the core. It's unclear exactly what their mission is, but there are some vaguely military vibes to the whole thing. Reyna happily signs up to serve her star, but Dave stays behind because he doesn't want to bounce around the cold, dark vacuum of space. He stays and coaches Sun City's space lacrosse team. Years later, Reyna returns when she urgently needs Dave's help. She's being chased by skeleton ghosts that want to prevent her from delivering some sort of message contained inside a gem to the Cassini commander. She gives the gem to Dave and explains that he has just two hours to deliver the message. Dave's not really ready to step up, but his hand has been forced, and he flies off into space with the gem, where he meets the surfing Sobe bottle lizards. He asks if they know where the Cassini commander is, and they're not sure, but... They're down to help him surf the solar winds all the way out to Saturn to find out. Along the way, we see some of the NASA imagery and data incorporated into flybys of notable solar system locations. Meanwhile, the forces of the Void, who might be antimatter, are determined to stop Dave from reaching Cassini. They want to destroy Cassini so that its data can't be transmitted back to Earth and they insist that humans must not discover Titan's secrets because with such knowledge, they could prevent their own annihilation. The Void sends its full forces out to find and destroy Dave, 
On his way to Saturn, Dave spends some time on an ice world, maybe Enceladus? There were jets of water. Where he meets Milton Ra, the famed war hero of Sun City. Eventually, Dave makes it to Saturn, locates Cassini, and flies inside the spaceship's computer, where he meets Gal 2000, aka the Cassini Commander. He delivers his message, but the Void's forces and Reyna have arrived as well. There's an epic battle, but Cassini is ultimately saved and beams its data back to Earth. The film ends on Earth in the auditorium at JPL as the Professor Guy begins his presentation. The Photon's journey from the core of the sun, to the exterior of the sun, through the void of space, into Cassini, down to Earth, through a computer and projector, and finally into our eyeballs, is complete. Um, that's insane. That's like a fever dream. Once we had gone through the plot with Eric, we moved on to just sort of what we thought about the movie, how it lived up to or didn't live up to our expectations. And now that we had seen the movie in full, where it fit into this bigger picture we had put together throughout the last few months. A real feature of watching the movie is Googling stuff. Because there are a lot of things that are clearly the scientific elements are sort of thrown in almost as like fun facts Mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, did you know that a photon travels or whatever? And I'm going, okay, well, I just learned the rules for space lacrosse. So (laughs) I don't know how like seriously I'm supposed to take whatever comes 20 seconds later. Right. And and even just to the scale thing of if the, if the, if the initial concept was for this was to teach me about photons and how they travel from the core of the sun to the exterior of the sun to earth to my eyeball, whatever, showing me visually that they're roughly the size of a lizard that's roughly the size of a human that's roughly the size of a dinosaur <laughs> doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really get me anywhere uh-huh. in terms of learning about a photon. I now know right. the word photon. That's really all I can like. And know that it originated in the sun and travels other places. Yeah. Right. And it yeah. creates a somewhat flawed environment for learning other things. Well, and that's what's funny also is because when I, that's about all I knew coming into this already was like, oh yeah, photons, they come from the sun and they travel around. And, and again, I think it's important to remember that like, we are obviously not the audience for this. 100%. Right. It, so if, if mm-hmm. we're trying to hit like five, well, we're the light drug user audience. <laughs> Who doesn't care I, about no, this is not testimony. I didn't say that. Who no. doesn't care about the logistics of it while watching this high on a Tuesday night on Adult Swim? Right. But if we're the the seven year old watching this, like, honey, what did you learn after you're watching your school movie? Well, well I, I could see like, okay, so now photons f- are fucking huge, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Photon is now a word in my vocabulary, and I know it has something to do with the sun, right? Like, th- there maybe is some level of just like more general awareness that could be taken from it mm-hmm. because at that age, like you don't know what a photon is. You maybe don't know all of the planets. So like maybe I learned what planets there are and what that a photon is something that comes from the sun mm-hmm. and that there's a spaceship called Cassini and I know what, what it looks like. And, and there's where other it spaceships, is. but those aren't real. And it helps Only us get the, knowledge. Yeah. So, right. But yeah. that's where it gets messy is like, there's not a clear delineation between the two. Right. So you will get some real information, but there's equal, if not more um, amounts of obviously to us, obviously fictional things. Yeah. But if the audience is young people who are being exposed to this stuff, maybe for the first time, are you 
I'm which gonna, is honestly where, I don't know where to draw that line. That's honestly or where even this, that there is a line that's supposed to be right. drawn. The other thing about the suspension of disbelief piece that I struggle with a little bit is like it's an easy thing for us to be like, oh, yeah, it's a movie. Like you should just go with it a little bit, but like. If I'm watching this in the intended space, I'm in a museum. Right. <laughs> which is right. like literally the place you go to embrace disbelief and uh-huh. believe it is reality. Like right. that is the purpose of a lot of that stuff that like electricity makes your hair stand on and, and like that's real and right. that's how it works. Right. And I think that comes back too though to they didn't make <laughs> yeah, no, exactly it's no that but yeah, exactly. You dude. know what I mean? Because, like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. No, no, but no, but no, like if good. I if I'm in like a human science like exhibit and I'm watching something about like the miracle of reproduction, and it's like, My name's Rookie and I'm the sperm and ba 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 I'm on my way to the egg and suddenly it's like, I'm Lucas and I'm Groucho the anger bot who lives in the it lives in the uterus and I'm here to destroy all sperm and people are like, Wait, is that a thing that exists? Like, oh no, it's just a movie. It's like, well, wait, but I'm in the reproductive exhibit. Screaming he's gonna destroy my sperm. <laughs> You're telling me the vast deference wars aren't real? What are we doing here? I think it comes back to though, like that wasn't what they intended, right? They didn't make the movie that they intended to make. Right. Totally. And so we don't know what those literally were missing half of the movie. Yeah. From what they wrote and what they recorded and what they wanted to actually make. Right. So Yes, as it stands, a lot of it just doesn't really make sense, and there's no clear difference between what is actual science and what is fiction, and it's all kind of mixed together. But mm-hmm. like, I don't think you can really overstate how big of a challenge that edit must have been. One hundred percent. Right? Yeah, it's all subtraction. Yeah, to, that's to really take hard. away half of your movie and not be able to add anything, but also. They didn't necessarily want this to run in science museums. Mm. They wanted to make a hundred minute film that was going to be a, like a wide theatrical release Mm -hmm. is what they set out to make. So to your point, like in the context of this is playing at a science center, no, it doesn't really work. Obviously Mm -hmm. it doesn't work. And one place picked it up. Everyone else said, no, this doesn't make sense for us. As a hundred minute kids movie that is loosely based on space Maybe it does, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're not going in expecting education, you're going in expecting entertainment, and maybe mm-hmm. you get five or ten percent education. Right. I think a lot of it was that, like, it, I just it was taken the, out the, of context. 100%. I keep thinking about that Osmosis Jones movie, where it's like they they managed to somehow make a movie that was it was a drama, or you know, it was like an action movie. But like every character that he runs into as as the whatever he is, like he's like the white blood cell or whatever. Yeah. It has it maps onto like a function in the body, so it ends up being like, wait, who were the like the like slime gangsters? It's like, oh, well, they were the mucus member or whatever. And I was like, oh yeah, I could. That is the function that they serve. Okay, gotcha. The seedy area of town, like, oh yeah, that was the toe fungus or whatever. You know. But, but, but they like, also got to to Spencer's point. They got to finish that movie, right? Which is the thing that I I think lose sight of occasionally is exactly how difficult what these guys were tasked with doing is. Well, and there are also lots of kids movies that like have some element of reality in them that are not beholden to that being totally accurate or real or whatever. Like cars too doesn't reflect how cars actually work. We don't get upset much less even really think about if finding Nemo is giving us accurate depictions of sea life, you know, 
I think where the difference is, is like NASA paid for it. That's it. That's <laughs> right. it. SeaWorld <laughs> didn't finance Finding Nemo. Or right. like the National Aquarium in Baltimore did not finance Finding right. Nemo. Right. And if they no, had, the then you would, maybe yeah. you would have... <laughs> You would have some beef there, but like, I think really the only problem is that NASA was trying to make an educational piece. Yeah. Otherwise, if this movie is like a hundred minute space kids movie that has some science dropped in, like this movie's not going to be make a hundred million dollars or anything, but like, whatever. Yeah. It's no one's upset about it being inaccurate or something. Totally. Mm-hmm. I think it's the combination of they had to take half their material out and not recontextualize any of what they had. <laughs> And NASA thought they were making something teaching us how photons work. Like, those are the problems. <laughs> yeah. just, just those two tiny little well, they're, they're large problems, yeah. for sure. But, like, it, it is difficult to judge how they manage those problems, given the scale of the problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is probably my review of the thing in short. But. Yeah. Also, to be fair, there were parts of it that were way better than I expected. 100%. 100%. And, oh. and the issue, a lot of the issues that are present in the trailer are not present in the movie. Like the sound is fine in the movie. All of the sound issues from the trailer are resolved in the actual film. In one of our interviews with Harry and Dan, we asked them specifically about the trailer and if it's of a similar quality to the actual movie. They didn't really seem to know what we were talking about, so we dropped it, but... A couple days later, we got an email from them after they had actually gone back and watched that four-minute Digimax trailer. (laughs) Harry said, by the way, I now understand your question. The god-awful trailer that Digimax posted is truly terrible. It's like they squeezed all the sound channels into one at all the wrong levels with bleed. Take a listen, Dan. It will make you cringe or maybe cry. That's from Harry. Yeah. And Dan said, trailer, I can't even really categorize what that is. Oh, my. This trailer from Digimax came out in 2012, two years after the movie had come out. Okay. And after Harry and Dan had stopped really, like, even thinking about this project. Mm -hmm. They were on to whatever was next. This project didn't work out. Whatever. Mm -hmm. And from talking to people at Skywalker, they are pretty sure that they did a theatrical and an IMAX mix of the sound. Mm -hmm. I think what happened on the trailer is Digimax took the IMAX sound mix and just summed the whole thing to either one or two channels. Mm -hmm. And so the sound is a disaster because it's supposed to be coming from 32 or whatever IMAX channels. And it sounds like they definitely took moments where the score was really hot and the dialogue scenes were really low and then just sort of combined them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I don't think Dan and Harry were aware that any of this stuff existed because Digimax put it out without ever talking to them about it. And they assumed that this project was just dead. Mm -hmm. And until we hit them up 10 years later saying, hey, can you tell us about this movie? I don't think they had like given Mm -hmm. it another thought. My My expectations in terms of just like overall quality were exceeded. Sure. Yeah. Partially because the bar had been set pretty low by the trailer and the clips that are out there. Right. And in some ways it was like significantly worse than what I expected Mm -hmm. in in most of the storytelling ways. Mm -hmm. Like this trailer is basically a condensed version of the story and it's basically incomprehensible. Like I couldn't tell you any major plot point based on this trailer. Mm -hmm. And 
I assumed that this was just like a weird edit of a trailer because it's kind of a weird trailer mm-hmm. and that maybe the actual movie would clarify some of that stuff. And I came away equally, if not more confused from actually watching the movie in terms of like what the actual story is. Mm-hmm. Like this is a kid's movie. He said it's for, you know, kids under 10, right? Right. Right. We had three adults with college degrees who literally could not like summarize the plot to each other five minutes after watching the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. Despite its flaws, there are parts of the movie that are really well done and that we all enjoyed. There are scenes that do use real Cassini imagery that look really, really cool and really beautiful. The music is really good. The voice acting is awesome because it's an A-list cast of voice actors who do a really good job with what uh, with what they are given and act the hell out of it. Chris Pine legitimately crushes it. He sounds like he's working really hard. Uh, absolute professional. It's pretty weird to, like, I had a moment where I had to just sort of stop and pull back and think, Oh, I'm listening to Mark Hamill, Samuel L. Jackson, Chris Pine, and like Amanda Pete interact in a scene together. Right. And like that's pretty cool. Yeah. And they all the voice acting is great. Like they didn't they didn't half ass any of that. So do you think okay, so then I guess my next question is like, given more resources, do you think that there is there's a fundamental like rot at the center of this project somewhere that or is it just like the material circumstances of this project were such that it wasn't allowed to to bloom into what it may have been? Like, I, do you think with the resources of a major studio, this would have actually been a really good film? I think... Or was it kind of like rotten from the outset? I think the script probably has some issues, but mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to evaluate because I, I haven't seen the whole thing. But yeah. based on like the half or this version that I, I have seen... The story is just kind of shaky. Okay. And I think part of that is trying it. It's this pull between Harry wanting to do his thing while also staying true to what NASA wanted enough. Okay. Yeah. However, I think if they had done this at Pixar or DreamWorks with a hundred million dollar budget, you could gloss over the issues that this movie has. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think it is like, fundamentally flawed in that sense and especially i mean you look at like a pixar movie has what maybe two three four like a-list voice actors in it usually Mm -hmm. in that sense this is like superior to a lot of big budget animated features Mm -hmm. the animation is obviously not on the same level so if you take that out of it and replace that with like Pixar, DreamWorks, whatever studio animation, I think it works. Mm. I will also say just to something you said earlier in the question about like, what could it be? After watching this thing, I, I don't, if it were me, I don't know that I would put the time and energy and money into trying to make it twice as long as it is now and trying to like, repatch some of those plot holes. Mm -hmm. I actually think, and as we have this conversation, I'm like thinking about how I'm picking at the plot holes in it relative to all of the other things that are obviously chaotic and nonsensical that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. They should put this thing on at midnight, every other weeknight (laughs) 
on Adult Swim. Just let it get culty. And just let it get yes. culty. Yeah. And it would and it for would, sure. It, it absolutely would. It would yeah. crush. It would do this, so because, well. Because, yeah. because here's the thing. A lot of what we're saying is this thing didn't ever, to you, though you put it really well, it didn't really bloom into the thing that it was supposed to be for a variety of reasons, whether it's the animation studio, the funding, the the length being cut in half because of the funding and the animation studio, et cetera, et cetera. It just didn't fully take flight in mm-hmm. its like in its form. And to your point, Sam, it's like you could, I, and like they've they've stated as much that they're looking for money. You know, I'm sure they need a significant amount of money to 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 basically reanimate it and make a hundred minute version of this if that's what they want to do. But for what it is. And for all of the things that it faced to become what it is, it's not it's not that bad. In fact, it has a lot of lovable, interesting, like fun moments to it where I'm like, yeah, an adult swim thing that just acknowledges like this is this is a thing that came out of these circumstances, these very incredibly specific circumstances. Yeah. For what it is, it, it would be a very enjoyable hour-long TV thing. If Harry Clure wanted to go Tommy Wiseau on this and just make this the room, he mm. could. Yeah, and I also wonder, too, like, if we expand this out to encompass the other two sort of, like, centerpieces of this story, Stephen Van Vuren and Carolyn Porco, um, is, there a, is there a certain aspect of this that's, like, I keep thinking, I don't know why this keeps popping in my head, but the whole like to to hear the true voice of God is to know madness or just to look upon the face of God is to know madness. Is there an element of this that's like you're driven so mad by the majesty that is Saturn viewed through the lens of Cassini that you try to bite off way the fuck more than you can chew that anything you try to make based on the reality that is the majesty of Saturn will always end up being frustratingly insufficient? I love this angle. I don't think there's anything to it, but I love that you're asking that question. I actually think the far- I do. I do. I think there's something to it. I, I actually think the far more probable version of that, honestly, is that like a version of this movie that was like not necessarily about Cassini, but was about like stimulating kids into being interested in science or whatever, some sort of like Pixar thing that had some like pro-science values to it was in Harry's head Mm. and he saw the like Cassini and Saturn stuff as a vehicle to move his thing forward yeah in some ways like I I think he was presented with an opportunity to do something like pretty close to what he wanted to do Mm -hmm. and tried to stretch it into exactly what he wanted to do and sort of got there Mm -hmm. yeah I think when we're talking about this stuff though, and when you said, you know, about like the scale and is there any, any way to accurately depict this? I don't think it's, it's so much like one way that's going to work. I think all Mm. of these, in some way, all of these projects work. Mm. They have very different goals and very different audiences. Mm. And some of them maybe work better than others for that specific audience. Mm. But like, Quantum Quest, I'm sure, has gotten at least one kid interested in space science, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a very different goal than Van Vuren trying to communicate 
Yes. Something right. inherent about our human experience and our place in the universe right. to adults through the use of space imagery. Like right. those are just inherently very different, different things yeah. for different people with different goals. Carolyn taking 400,000 images of Saturn and distributing them to the public worked, mm-hmm. right? We see an image like the day the earth smiled and it affects us and it will probably encourage some people to either, you know, evaluate their themselves, their place in the universe. It will probably encourage some people to get into space science. One of the things Carolyn said that she really appreciated about contact is that it accurately depicts some of the challenges that scientists face on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. to do their work. Mm -hmm. Again, that's a very different goal that also matters and that contact was effective at doing. Mm -hmm. So I think we're all like through all these different things, even if it's not objective or like directly about space or education or science or whatever, like I think if we zoom out far enough, we're all kind of getting at the same thing. And some of these projects like combine a bunch of different elements of that. Some of them are just like one very specific element of that. Like I'm going to go take 400,000 pictures of that planet, but they all work on different levels. Like at the end of the day, I don't really care if quantum quest was good or not because like, how, how do we possibly evaluate that? It's, it's not, am I valuing that as like, was it a, Pixar movie that a 35 year old man would like mm-hmm. no but it wasn't supposed to be and even if it was and it missed that mark it's still going to like be good for somebody else somewhere mm-hmm. and I think a distinction worth making that is worth calling out explicitly here that gets at exactly what you're driving at like I think Harry is actually a relatively good advocate for an ambassador to like the sciences like he is passionate about this stuff. He delivers it in an accessible way. He spends a bunch of his time going to like schools and trying to market this stuff and get kids interested in it and get involved in it. And I think most of like the criticisms here are part of the pitfalls that come with trying to evaluate this thing as a movie. Mm-hmm. He's not a good filmmaker, but that's also not what he is professionally. That's not what he sets out to do. Mm-hmm. It's just a, th- it's a it's a role he undertook as a part of his broader work, I think, as like an advocate for this or working to inspire kids into this. And like him being a good or bad filmmaker, to your point, is sort of not really material. And also mm. super subjective. <laughs> mm. right. Also super subjective. And I think also slightly colored here by like what Steven has done as a contrast in some ways, which is to like he is also a filmmaker who sort of became a like really excellent space science advocate kind of going in the reverse pattern. Well, and also like, I I think the, I mean, it's hard to talk about, it's hard to like wrap up an, like a critique of this project because it seems like it's still in flux. It seems like it isn't done yet. And, and there's like a big part of art critique is just answering the question. Did this set out did, did this achieve to the goals that it set out to achieve? And it seems like not yet, but like it's still not done trying to do it yet. I I also think that that question to some extent doesn't matter 
Like I, I have no interest in critiquing the film, mm. honestly. Like, mm-hmm. I, and there are plenty of projects that didn't accomplish what they set out to accomplish that are still very important and like worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Right. I think a lot of it is a context of like even this movie, Quantum Quest. If you take it out of the context of like this is supposed to educate grade school kids about space science and move it over to this is supposed to keep this is supposed to entertain high adults and maybe like <laughs> remind them that NASA did some cool shit. Hundred thousand percent hits that mark. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Was that the mark they set out to hit? It sounds like a little kind of maybe yeah. like Harry was aware <laughs> that it might have that appeal. But I don't know how much that even matters. Yeah. Right. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, I guess it only matters if you're trying to critique it on those. Yeah, but who cares? Based on the story of how it got made and some of the very basic like characteristics of it, like the cast and like Dan's artistic talent and some of this other stuff, like it's instantly far more interesting than the vast majority of movies out there getting made. It's mm-hmm. what got yeah. us interested in this all in the yeah. first place, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, at its at its surface, it is interesting. It is still interesting after having seen it, and I think adds value and, to. And like, Harry yeah. and Dan are also like pretty effective salesmen and do a really yeah. nice like sort of likable like back and forth together. Like I would like for these guys to have personally the satisfaction of having seen this through and something that feels like whole and complete and satisfying to them Yeah, because they've cared about it for long enough and they're like still friends. It's their great white whale. Ultimately, I'm not sure that any of this really matters, but at the same time, it kind of all does. We're all connected and we always have been. We've been finding ways for thousands of years to learn about ourselves, to experience new things, and to share those experiences with each other. For some people that happens through art, for others it's through science, space exploration. Maybe I've just been thinking way too hard for way too long about a kid's movie and all of this is nonsense. I truly don't know. All I know is that one night in January, I was bored scrolling through Reddit, and then four months later, Carolyn Borko was explaining the meaning of life to me. You know, when you get to be my age, you reflect back on your life, and I feel like I have found the significance of our existence, and and that is that we exist at all, and together, all together on this one planet. In fact, our life, that we are alive is significant. Evolutionary biologists will tell you that we who have been given life, we've won the lottery, that the chances of any one of us being alive are infinitesimally small. So to say that life is a gift is not just a metaphor, it's actually true. What's more, in just being alive, we and every other living organism on Earth are the embodiment of life, the process, the most complex, finely tuned, adaptive, high fidelity, self-regulating, self-propagating process in the universe. 
and all life forms on our world and members of the same tribe. We're all earthling. We're all different elements or components of one very large, intricate, very delicately balanced, interconnected web that has developed here on our planet and on which all of us depend. We're part of it, it is part of us, and if that web fails, we fail too. And that is the significance, that just in simply being alive, we are the improbable manifestation of the most profound creation that our magnificent universe has to offer. And so I feel tremendously gratified to know that. And I think if people would just hold that thought, and maybe what it would take is from time to time, on a dark night, a dark moonless night, go out and gaze at the Milky Way and witness our home in the cosmos and recognize it for what it really is. That's our home galaxy. Maybe our connection with the rest of the cosmos, our visceral, immediate connection to look upon the night sky, see the Milky Way, see the stars that surround us, maybe it could be that perspective that would move us to regard every other creature on, on the earth with the respect and the compassion that all of us deserve. And we'd be moved, we would be really moved, hopefully to want to protect it. That's what I got. <laughs> How'd you like our story? That was fucked up. Okay, it's February 22nd, 2022, about eight hours before the final episode goes live. And I just got some very exciting news. I'm going to call Eric and share it with him. Hello? Can you hear me? Did I connect to the phone or can I hear? There it is. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now it should be working. Okay. So I have a Quantum Quest update for you. Great. I await in great anticipation. I just got off the phone with a distribution company called Giant Pictures. Okay. And they confirmed that they're re-releasing Quantum Quest. No! And it'll be available on digital on-demand platforms this spring. Yes! <laughs> By no, of course, I mean, yes! <laughs> we did it. Wow, dude. Congratulations. This is how it feels to win the battle against the forces of the void, dude. Just took us like a year and a half and we found a, a silly kids movie. Yes, that's amazing. I can't wait to watch it. Finding Quantum Quest is written and produced by Spencer Worth Davis. Co-produced by Sam McCullough and Ryan Copperud. Story editing by Sierra DeMulder Ayers and Katie Roth. Special thanks to Eric Mason.